So I don't want to hold up people for whoever's going to tune in and watch this and stuff. I'm going to have to sit through a minute or so. Here's a friend here. We'll add her. We'll add her. Let's uh, fix this here. Thank hey, you. Hello. Uh, you're she's, on mute there, Ryan. So She's getting us up together. Hi. Who was that? Wheezy? <laughs> Who was that? A picture of Wheezy? Who's that? Who's that? No. No, it's just a painting of a mom and a baby. Oh, okay. I can't really. I can't really <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Not wheezy. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, that's what I thought it was. It looked like he's got a shirt. It's kind of far away from my distance. It looks like he's got a, you know, no shirt on and pants hanging down. So I just thought it was wheezy. I don't, I don't know. Oh, my God. There's, there's no pants hanging down, though. Okay. <laughs> it does, you know what? It, listen, it does look like. From a, from a distance, it looks like that. Would you? <laughs> does it? It's a mom I can't unsee baby. it now. I put that in your head now. Now we can't unsee it. We can't unsee it. Now we're all you see the baby. That's the baby in front of the mom. The mm. mom's holding the baby. That's a diaper. <laughs> and the diaper looks like it you know, looks, the diaper looks like, sagging. Looks, looks like pants sagging. That's what it looks like. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, thank you so much for joining in. I really, really appreciate it. And to the both of you, I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me on Captain Hunter's podcast, uh, where I try to help the community and help the police understand each other so they're not at each other's throats all the time. Um, so hopefully this message can get out so we're not at each other's throats and rioting in the streets and throwing rocks and, and doing all the crazy stuff that we see uh, growing across the country. Um, so why don't we just start off with, uh, we had uh, Nurse Tash here before, and so uh, I'm yeah. gonna start off with you, Nurse Ryan. If you could uh, tell us about yourself and what you do and where you are and why you have a picture of Wheezy on your on your wall. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so um, I'm Ryan, and um, I'm a registered nurse, and I'm also a lactation consultant. Today is actually the end of Black Breastfeeding Week, and it, um, we are um, ending National Breastfeeding Month. So um, you know, just wanted to shout that out because that's super important. Um, to the culture, to the community, right? Um, and I live in Indiana. And what else you asked me to say? I forgot. Uh, just tell us about yourself. Whatever you got. Oh yeah, but Wheezy, I think. Why you have Wheezy on? What, what, okay, so this is <laughs> this is a picture. It's a painting of a mom holding her baby. Um, so I don't know where we get Wheezy from out of that, but <laughs> it's a really important picture to me because my mentor actually gave it to me. So. Um, and she's no longer with us. So that's like a little piece of her that I have um, that I can kind of see as a reflection when I'm recording our, our podcast or any business stuff that I'm doing um, in my office. So very good. Very good. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for that. Uh, Nurse Tosh, could you tell us about yourself again? Hey, everybody. I'm currently momming. So. I will be muted and unmuted appropriately so that my toddler does not make her debut on Captain Hunter's podcast. <laughs> um, my name is Latasha. I go by Tasha. I am an obstetrical nurse or OB, um, labor and delivery, postpartum, all mom and baby type stuff. And um, recently a small business owner where I offer um, doula services and um, childbirth education. I am one half of the Conscious Sedation Podcast, where we educate, empower, and entertain um, Ryan and I, and we re just rebooted that and been doing it, you know, for a couple of years now. So thank you for having us. Um, we are so very grateful to be a part of this show. 
Oh, well, thank you. The, the honor's all mine. Thank you so much. Um, so when I heard about you guys, I listened to a couple episodes, but those were some previous episodes from a year or two ago. Yeah. And you were talking about men or dating or something along those lines. <laughs> and it was like a series. That probably wasn't a good one to slide into. Yeah, it was perfect for me. I'm like, man, this is great. <laughs> I was like, wow, this is this is great. Somebody's talking about this stuff. So this is the one that we opened with for the DJ. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, was, that was awesome. That was awesome. So uh, I want to know how you guys came up with the idea to do a podcast, how you guys got the idea to call it Conscious Sedation. Where does that come from? How does all that? So it's a good story, actually. Yes. <laughs> Tasha and I are um, certified clowns, so to speak. I mean, we can just make <laughs> jokes about anything and just like keep it going. And like she say something, I'm going I'm to go off of her. We just fall now laughing. And but it's what's funny about a lot of the stuff is that we're, it's actually good stuff that we're saying. It's not just nonsense. It's like <laughs> good content that we're talking about. And we were like, um, we should have a podcast. And Tasha, this is Tasha's idea because I am not traditionally a podcast like listener. This was like something that she was really into. Um, and I, I'm, I'm more of a reader. <laughs> <laughs> and she gets into the podcast. So she's like, we should have a podcast. And I was like, we should. But I'm still thinking it's like a joke, right? It's a game. And she like, no, for real. Like, <laughs> we should no, we should really do it. And I'm like, okay, whatever, I'm down. I'm like, I don't know anything about it. And so we're like at dinner one day. Um, we had this theme when we lived in the same city where we were trying to like visit restaurants we hadn't, you know, visited before. And so we would kind of have like a date, like, a, you know, a friend date. Um and we were at a restaurant, we were at dinner and we were racking our names with different, I mean, you know, racking our brains with different things we can name it. And we thought conscious sedation. I don't remember which one of us said it, but the, the, the gag is that, you know, conscious sedation is a type of sedation that they, that you can receive during certain medical procedures. So if you are having a certain type of surgery, if it's not too invasive, if they're not doing anything too serious, you can get conscious sedation. And so it's also a play on words, right? Because we want the people to be woke. We don't want you to be like sedated. We want to be waking the people up. And so it's kind of, it's kind of this middle ground where you're like, you're kind of awake. You may have a little amnesia when you wake up from it, but you're like waking up. You're not like fully asleep. You're not like under a general anesthetic where you're like, remember nothing. Right. And so that's kind of the play on words that it's, we wanted everything to kind of have a, a nursing or a medical context also still be like for the culture right still be like relevant to what our purpose and our mission is also which is kind of very similar to yours which is you know really just being for the people you know anything that's relevant for the black community anything that's going to help to to better us um particularly as it you know through like a medical or like our nursing lens a double entendre <laughs> is that yes. what it's called <laughs> now i gotta go look that word up double entendre using big words on me um, yeah. So, so you were always into uh, podcast, Tasha, Tasha. Is that right? You always. Into um, I won't say always, but I am more of an auditory learner, and so when I was introduced with, excuse my child, when I was introduced to podcasting, I was just like, oh, this is right up my alley. So, you know, in a commute or um, working out or anything like that, it was just like the perfect blend for me. I'm not a big like TV, reading, um, subtitles type person. And so podcasting was like, okay, yeah. And so, like Ryan said, we will be like, we should have our own show. And show then kind of translated to podcast. Yeah. 
for me, which I felt like was perfect because we're in this age of um, um, on-demand consumption, right? And so it was just perfect because I was like, we could go ahead and record stuff or whatever, and then people can check it out later or whenever they're on the go or what have you. So yeah, it worked out perfectly and it was super, super easy to get started. So for anybody who wants to start a podcast, it's way too easy. Um, some of the podcasts that I listened to, I ended up emailing people like, what kind of mic y'all use or what are y'all doing and this and that. And people got back to me and, you know, gave me tips and the rest is history. Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, I, I, pretty much the same journey as mine. I listened to a couple of them, thought to myself, well, I actually kind of thought to myself, these people are talking about nothing. I think I can talk about something. <laughs> and so uh, I wish I had to be comedic genius that you two uh, have, but uh, everybody has their, has their niche. And maybe, maybe if I get a picture of Wheezy on the wall there, maybe it'll people... Okay. <laughs> <Listen. laughs> you know what? Um, you know what? <laughs> so I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you guys and just have a conversation about, you know, your, your journey as nurses, what kind of brought you to that place in life and, and everything like that and how you're dealing with the COVID. So we'll get into that in, in a bit here, but uh, this year, 2020, has been the gift that just keeps on giving, taking, punching us in the gut, won't let us up. You know, at the beginning of the year, for uh, we had the, the death and passing of Kobe Bryant for basketball fans, sports fans. And now recently, we've had another blow uh, being Chadwick Boseman. I don't know if you guys are, are into mo movies or or Black Panther particularly. You guys know of him or or whatever yeah i mean even if you're not into you know um comics or movies i mean he's such an um iconic person um you know for the culture for our generation i think for our time um, you, you, how could you not know him you know yeah. how could you not yeah. feel the impact of that loss yeah so so let, uh, just talk to us about the impact that you have and you said he, he's an iconic figure and um so just so let's just talk about that for a little bit if you would Nurse, Nurse Ryan. Yeah, I think, you know, when I when I think about him, I think that he's every one of us. Right. So we see these people in Hollywood. We see them once they get there. Right. But when you know his story, he was like a struggling college student at HBCU, like many of us were, you know, um, and he just happened to be um, someone who's on the receiving end of um, some funding, right, from people in Hollywood. Denzel Washington actually helped to pay for his college. So he was able to finish college because Denzel Washington actually donated funds to help him to be able to finish his degree. So it's really ironic that he became this like phenomenal actor um, who can kind of follow in Denzel's footsteps. They didn't even know each other, right? This was like some, it was completely blind, a blind donation that Denzel made. Um, I think, you know, some other people in Hollywood were like working with, he went to Howard University. So he, they were working with Howard and um, reached out to Denzel. Like I got some kids who need some money to finish school. Denzel was like, cool, whatever, put money on his account. He finishes school. So that, you know, that's the part of the people's story that I want to know, right? Like it's easy to see people once they get there, but it's that, it's that meat and potatoes part of your story that helps other people struggling college students, right? Black college students to know like, okay, I could get through and I can not only get through, but the world is my freaking oyster. Like I can, I mean, he was 43 when he passed away. So the amount of work that this man did in 
what, less than 20 years, maybe 20 years if he was 23 when he graduated, right? It's incredible. And so it's not only a loss for people, you know, who are of our generation, but it's a really big loss for people in like my children's generation, right? Like the, the little ones, like I, I made a post on my status that said um, on, on social media that said um, little black boys and little black girls have lost the hero, right? And we need to be gentle. Like, you know, Black Panther lives, right? As a fictional character, but it, I mean, it's rare for us to see ourselves displayed um, on film or any other platform in the way that Black Panther put us out there, right? Like we, like that's not a thing that doesn't happen. And so, for you to, you know, be eight or nine, that's one of the first images that you see, right? If you're going to the theater, maybe that's your first movie you watched, and that's that's what you're that's what you get to see. That's what you get to set your eyes on for your life, for your childhood. I mean, it's a great loss. It's just the work. It's, it's incredible that he did. Yeah, Nurse Tasha. Um, I feel like two things. He was an actor who um, had a great, great deal of integrity as it pertains to Black male actors. And so that was something that a lot of people um, admired about him, that he just wouldn't take anything, no matter what his situation was. Um, he had a set of values and... Um, goals for his career. And he stuck to that no matter what. And he didn't compromise on that. So I think that's a really big deal. And then unfortunately, his story is not unlike most of ours. You know, I feel like it hit home in a lot of places. One of my very best friends' um, father passed away of colon cancer. Um, he wasn't as young as Chadwick Boseman was, but it's just one of those things, like a common thread again, that we we feel connected in some way to the loss. And then you think about like, wow, he was working and did all of this stuff sick and no one knew, you know, people in his circle didn't know. And it was just, you know, I don't know. It just, it definitely makes you think about your own mortality and make you wonder what he was really going through and how he was able to push through with everything that, you know, he was suffering with. Absolutely. When I look at uh, some of the images and some of the postings, I guess, you know, he was visiting the Shriners Hospital, visiting other sick kids who had cancer themselves and just mm -hmm. being that that hero that we're talking about, the man of it, um, you know, obviously a very private person, but who said to himself, you know, I'm going to go out here and I'm going to encourage other kids who are dealing and struggling with these problems. Um, so that that really says a lot about this man and about his character. Um, and if you guys can talk a little bit about the about the roles that he played, you know, from Jackie Robinson to Thurgood Marshall um, to, of course, um, the more famous uh, T'Challa, uh, Black Panther. If you guys can talk just what he meant. Nurse Nurse Ryan talked a little bit about that. But what are, what are your thoughts about the roles that he played, Nurse Taj? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't playing the, I'm not going to say typical, but usually when there are scripts written for black people in Hollywood, they fit a certain typecast and they are fit into a certain um, box. Please excuse my baby. Um, <laughs> and, and he did not play those types of roles. I think he was interested in making an impact and speaking about different stories that resonated with him and being very 
connected to the roles that he decided to play. And, you know, I don't know how many he passed up on, but he certainly did pick and choose about what role was the right role for him and Mm -hmm. then what pictures he wanted to see come to the big screen and how he wanted us depicted and what he would choose to participate in. And I just... Hello, Daddy. Hello, Mommy. (laughs) Hi, baby. And I just think that that is a rare thing. You know, that's just rare. Nowadays, I feel like everybody is trying to make a buck or on a take in some kind of way. And some people are selling their souls in Hollywood. But it's clear that that was not what he was about. I read yeah. uh, I read uh, where he actually got fired from a role because he refused to play the, the typical stereotypical mm-hmm. uh, thug gangster or whatever, you know? So that, again, that just goes to his character. Mm-hmm. There's Ryan, do you have any, anything like that? No, I was actually gonna talk about that. I think he um, was working, had gotten um, hired for a soap opera and um, they really liked him, but you're right. they he was playing a stereotypical black man, which kind of speaks to what you were saying, Tasha. Um, and it, I think for him, he it wasn't even so much personal. It was about his understanding that his representation of the entire, like of everybody, right? And so if there were these stereotypical things that people perceive, because he, he talked about, I actually watched an interview where he was talking about, um, his his interaction with like the production staff, the writers, and how he was asking not only it was only important for him to understand the character, right, that's out in front of the screen, but also what's the backstory? Like he says he asks, Where is where's his dad? Right? Like, and where's the character's mom? Like, what's what's going on with her? Like, why how did he get here? What's his story? And just by him asking those questions, mm-hmm. by him digging that much made them, yeah, he got fired the next day. <laughs> And so I think it speaks to his character. I think we can all learn from that, right? Like, it's not even only about us. We have to understand that everything we do out here, anything that we're putting, any platform that we have the privilege of being on, we have to know that we are not only representing for us, right? But we are representing for the culture. And we have to always be clear of that, especially when you're a thought leader, right? When you are somebody who um, is, is, is before the people. If that's your if that's your position, you've placed yourself in that position, or that's the position that your your path has led you because that's your that's your destiny, right? That's your purpose. Then we have to be mindful of that at all times. And black people do because we're the ones who are in that space. I oh, don't for sure, black people. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have the luxury of just having individual representation or going out here and it just being us. And this is what I'm on. It's always going to be a collective <laughs> sort of view when we and are. Truly, that's and who we are as a people, right? If you think back, like that's the way we function. We function as a collective people. We That's how, you know, historically, right? If you go, if you trace it back down to the roots, that is who we are as a people. We don't come from an individualistic society. Like we come from a people who are, you know, very much community oriented, very much a collective um society so you know we have to function that way or we should function that way yeah, i guess we should yeah <laughs> so so let's talk about a little bit about uh, you know something that we can learn from this and that is uh getting yourself checked out this is obviously right up your alley colon cancer taking a lot of b- black men um so if you guys want to chime in about that about the, the, the need and the importance of getting checked out and all that 
<laughs> before, I just think it's important before we talk about the need of, to get checked out. Um, I think it's Im it's important that we talk about um, some of the trauma that black people have embedded in our DNA about medicine and about Western medicine and going to doctors. And so, um, you know, historically we have been tested on without our permission. We have had our DNA stolen from us that they are still using today. Henrietta Lacks, right? And so um, there's a lot of fear around going to the doctor. And so I'm always careful to, yes, we need to go to the doctor, right? We need to get checked out, get your screenings. It's important, early detection. If you can get an early diagnosis, you have a better outcome. But we have to address the fear. We have to address the why behind Black people not going to the doctor, not wanting to seek care. And it's tied to fear. And that fear is rooted in trauma. There's historical trauma um, that sometimes prevents us from, you know, choosing to go to the doctor and that's not even to consider right other things like insurance or being able to afford to go to the doctor uh, <laughs> that's like a whole nother thing but there's there's lots of reasons why black people don't and i think we have to be careful to just not to just say like go to the doctor go get a checkup because we got to figure out what's going on with them and why they may be not you know what may be preventing them from going to the doctor it's an excellent point nurse tasha Right. Um, as healthcare providers, I think we do see a lot of the barriers a lot more clearly and are, um, as Black people in the system, are um, a little bit slow to finger wag about why people don't. And I think that information is important. Ryan, I was going to speak to exactly what you spoke to as far as us unpacking why we don't go in the first place. But um the recommendation for colonoscopy is like 50, I think, or something like that for black men and women. But if you have risks, then that age comes down. And the problem with that is if people aren't going to the doctor until they're 60 or 70, then how do you know what your risk is from your grandparents or from your parents or from your uncles, you know, aunts, whatever. And so it's kind of lost to be like, this is the recommendation. This is what you should do without addressing first the barriers. But then once you've taken care of that, then getting people screened appropriately. And that is at the appropriate time, you know, in a way that they can tolerate and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. The Yeah. So these these risk factors, I mean, you know, they told me. <laughs> Uh, you know, 50 and then 45 and even for same thing for prostate cancer, I should go and 40 and 45 and after 40 should get. So all these different risk factors. And here Chadwick was, if it, you know, he's 43 when he passed, he got diagnosed 40, uh, you know, four years ago, 39. I mean, you know, this, this really says something to, to our risk factors. Maybe we should just have a, a standard age that we should be looking to get this done. Or, and as, as you said, Ryan, um, and if you don't have the insurance or you don't have the money to pay, um, that presents a whole nother, you know, group of problems, you know, so mm -hmm. maybe people could get uh, early detection. And so therefore they can get early help, but if they don't have the money or they're scared or, or all these different things, it really, really just presents this, this huge, huge problem, huge problem. Nurse, I mean, I'm a nurse, <laughs> one of my good friends, <laughs> Karen, Karen Zerudi is asking, do you think him working through the cancer advanced it faster? 
What's your guys' opinion about that? We'll go with you, Nurse Tasha, first. Do you think uh, I'm working through it? Who knows? I mean, I imagine that someone like Chadwick Boseman had access to the best doctors, the best medicine. And for him um, battling this for four years, I would guess that he's tried holistic therapy, um, Western medicine, like all of the gamut. Because really, when you look at something like colon cancer, the the symptoms are so vague and they present very differently in anybody that it's not really that easy to diagnose. And like you said, he was diagnosed at 39. And so if he started to have really vague symptoms early on, the last thing his doctor probably thought was this guy's got colon cancer. Mm-hmm. You know, I imagine if he was an actor already then, which I believe he was, I imagine he led a relatively healthy life and lifestyle. And so all of those things pose um, time constraints and change the picture and the dynamic. And so, you I mean, we'll never know. Stress plays a part. We'll never know what what could have been done differently for him or what exacerbated it or what made it better. Like I said, I would imagine that he tried everything. Do you know what the what the um, symptoms are? I don't mean to put you on the spot. Do, you, do any of, either of you know what the symptoms are? Since, since we're talking about it, what, what should people be looking for at whatever? Um, go ahead, Ryan. No, I was going to say, I was going to just kind of echo what you said, that the symptoms can not only are, are not only are the symptoms of colon cancer really vague, colon cancer is a silent cancer. There, a lot of times by the time you have symptoms, it's pretty That's far cool. progressed. It's pretty far advanced. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of those symptoms could be um, you could either have constipation, you could have diarrhea, you could have blood, blood in your stool, stool, mucus in your stool. Um Heartburn might feel like heartburn or just what we call what GERD, um, gastrointestinal disturbances of some Mm -hmm. sort. Some people spit up blood, some people don't. And so like Ryan said, by the time you get to the really scary stuff, then that means it's really far advanced. Mm -hmm. Initially, it's usually just very basic. And even I'll go as far as to say blood in your stool doesn't look like bright red like someone sliced my bottom open blood it usually looks dark and so if you're not really looking and wiping and you know what i'm saying because some people don't (sighs) you've missed it (laughs) ryan (laughs) i'm laughing at captain hunter he said But these things are important, right? And that's and real. That's real have, time, though. Yeah, and you have to have someone who's taking care of you, who preferably looks like you, to yes. say, um, are you looking? How long have you been having this symptom? And kind of dig, no pun intended, so that we can <laughs> we can See get to the bottom. <laughs> no pun intended no. again. Oh, what the not, symptoms. Now you're doing it on purpose. Like. I'm, just, I'm, not. I'm, <laughs> not. I'm, I'm not. I'm done. But yeah, you know, it, it's important for you to have like a really thorough um, practitioner. So that yeah. could be your primary care physician and someone who you have a relationship with. So, you know, if you like that person, you have good chemistry with them, you keep going and you build rapport with them, right? So that if something is click off, you either don't have any anxiety about talking to them like, man, doc, I've been wiping and it's looking a little different down there. Um, Or them noticing that something's off about you, you know, because there could be times where you're looking at yourself every day in the mirror 
But then you get in front of someone else who you hadn't seen in a year or six months and they notice something about you that you don't really see because, again, you're looking at yourself every day. So, you know, rapid weight loss and that kind of stuff is also signs or, you know, um, abdominal bloating. All of these things can be signs that a regular person who is not in the medical field who may have fears about going to the doctor can very easily miss. Yeah, very good. Very good. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I hope that people really would take advantage of, of that and, you know, let this be a wake up call to them and go get checked out for, you know, every other, you know, everything that you can, every blood test or whatever, prostate exam, whether you're, uh, you know, if you're a female, go get your breast checked and all that kind of stuff, you know. Really, really important. And then I will also just add a little caveat because I just cannot not say it. But we also have a responsibility to ourselves, right, to do whatever preventative measures that we can take. And colon cancer is one of those ones. Of course, if you have risk factors, you can't do anything about your DNA, right? Like DNA is DNA, you can't change that. But there's really, really good evidence that says a high fiber diet can really help to protect and prevent colon cancer. And so, you know, eating lots of all the stuff we probably would prefer not to eat, right? Our green vegetables, our green leafy vegetables, beans, legumes, like all those things are going to be really protective, right? And, and hopefully to prevent um, colon cancer. So I think that's important to note. Well, listen, I'm really glad that you said it uh, because I don't want to sound very preachy. I just did, well, a few weeks ago, I did an episode on the, actually, I did two episodes on the importance of what I, the journey that I've been on is a whole food plant-based diet and just eating nothing but but, but fruits and vegetables. This is me. I, you know, I gave up the meat um, and just uh, eating nothing but, 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 but plants, vegetables, mm -hmm. oats, uh, fruits, vegetables, um, grain, you know, grains, mm -hmm. rice. Uh, mm -hmm. No oils and all that kind of stuff, and um, so I'm glad that you guys are are echoing that. In that people need to eat more more fiber. You don't have to do what mm -hmm. I'm doing, but but I would just, I would suggest it. But at least get more fiber in your diet. I think yeah. it's really really important. That we, that we more that. fiber than fat. More fiber yeah. than sugar. More fiber yeah. than <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so important. And you yeah. you will notice. We talked about digging and bottoms and stuff, and you will notice a, a difference in your. Oh yeah. <laughs> you will you will notice. I notice you and. It's, I can't, I can't, I can't have come out. <laughs> no way to all that was in. <laughs> no way. You like, wow. <laughs> you got to do a courtesy flush for yourself. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. <For> Absolutely. <laughs> for real. So, so how did you guys get into nursing? Did you guys grow up and, you know, see a nurse one day and take your temperature and said, you know, I want to do that one day. How'd you guys get into it? We'll start with oh, you, Nurse funny. Tosh. Tosh, how'd you guys get into that? <laughs> sure. Um, I consider myself very, very fortunate in that I knew I wanted to be a nurse from when I was little. Um, my aunt was a nurse. My mom was in nursing school. She did not complete nursing school, but um, those were the two figures that I had in my life. And I've always been a nurturer, like anybody who I've been around, even before I became a mom would be like, oh, you like the mama, you know, <laughs> because I just have that kind of spirit of, you know, let me take care of you in some kind of way and whatever that looks like. Sometimes people love it. Sometimes they hate it. But um, I've always known that that's what I wanted to do. And I felt like when I was going through nursing school, which, you know, kind of resembles the year 2020 for me. <laughs> I was like, if 
I don't make it through this, then I don't know what I'm going to do. This has to be a slam dunk. Like, literally, that's how I felt. And you, Ryan? <laughs> My story. <laughs> Have y'all seen a little meme or whatever that says, everybody thinks a success looks like this. Yeah, but successfully it looks like <laughs> that's my story. So out the gate, when I was little, like I went to undergrad, I was pre-dental. I wanted to be in the healthcare field, um, but I wanted to be a dentist. And you cannot tell me that I was not going to be a dentist. My entire childhood, my grandmother always told me that I was going to be a nurse. You're going to be a nurse. You my little nurse. Then I mean, and I come from a family of um, servants. Everybody in my family has like a servant or a caregiver role. We've got teachers and nurses and preachers. And I mean, that's just who we are. So she's always telling me I was a nurse. I'm like, Granny, I ain't trying to hear that. I'm going to be a dentist. <laughs> the end. <laughs> so fast forward to like maybe my sophomore year, I changed my major to nursing. Got pregnant around that same time. <laughs> Had my first daughter. So actually, I became a lactation consultant before I became a nurse. Okay. So what led me to want to be a lactation um, consultant was people in my community not being um, knowledgeable about breastfeeding and asking me because they saw me do it. And so that led me to want to get on that <laughs> path. You were, huh? They were in the room or they saw you do it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you breastfeed everywhere, right? you got to feed your baby. I'm breastfeeding in public. I'm breastfeeding in church. I'm breastfeeding at the mall. I'm breastfeeding oh, in the man. store. Okay. I come over okay. your house, Captain Hunter. I'm a breastfeed. It just is what it is. <laughs> you okay. <will> gotta eat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so when they started to become mothers, you know, I'm telling you, this was like my sophomore year in college. So I was a very young mother, you know. Um, and so once my other, my friends, my peers became mothers years later, they started asking me questions. And I was like, well, dang, I should become a lactation consultant, right? And so I did. I got on the path and I became a lactation consultant. And so what I know about through that journey opened my eyes to other needs in the black community. And so um, that put me on the path to, to nursing. Like I literally took my board exam to become a lactation consultant. And then the next month I enrolled into nursing school. And so that's kind of how I started my journey. And it's funny because it just all came full circle because my grandma, you know, was like, mm hmm. I told you she was my little nurse. <laughs> wow, she told you. She told it's you. funny because she passed away the day I took my board exam for to my oh, nursing man. board. Oh, man. Sorry to hear that. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. So I want to talk it's more. Just, it's all full circle. I want to talk more about this la lactation consultant thing, which I yeah. didn't know there was an actual thing until about 35 minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, what? Um, so, so how do how do we come to need lactation consultants? I think you're absolutely right that that this is my own personal opinion. Um, you know, you're absolutely right that we have been sold a bill of goods as far as as far as uh, um, canned milk. Uh, you know, uh, the stuff we buy in stores, Similac, and all this kind of stuff. So, so tell us about about the need for it. How do we come to this place where we got to get certified to do something that that animals do in the wild? <laughs> naturally that we should be doing naturally how, how does this happen that is a loaded question okay yeah. let me give you a quick <laughs> short version <laughs> um so again we're going to talk about the black community 
there's a lot of trauma, historical trauma that is tied around breastfeeding. You think about, you know, the transatlantic slave trade and babies being ripped away from their mothers, you know, and um, sold away. And, you know, moms left to deal with their their milk supply and what they're going to do with that. Um, and then you think about slavery days and even Jim Crow, right, from slavery to through Jim Crow. Um, white women were, I mean, black women were a lot of times forced to breastfeed their slave owners children or if they were hired as a mammy right to be a old school nanny or you know back in it was they were just really nannies um but they were they would breastfeed and sometimes to their own children's demise you know there are some um, slave owners who would say you can't use the same breast for my child as your child right um and so or you breastfeed my child first and then your child gets what whatever is left and so there's a lot, I mean, and that's just like the tip of the iceberg as it pertains to um, breastfeeding and the tr some of the trauma that's tied to it. And so then fast forward to like, you know, maybe like the mid 70s when breastfeeding was truly at its lowest in our country overall. And it was a lot of times breastfeeding was tied to poverty. They thought people who were poor breastfed because all of a sudden there were these commercial milks that you could feed your baby. And right, you think about this is also when women were starting to like kind of go to work and wanting, wanting to be more independent and kind of free from that whole tied down barefoot and pregnant lifestyle. Um, and so it was if, if you if you could afford to buy milk then it was like a thing. And so that's still kind of where we are right now. It's like there are lots and lots of myths and misconceptions. And then you got the historical trauma. Lots of that is tied to um, to breastfeeding. There's a lot of also like um, discriminatory marketing practices that happen within the black community. Um, like there have been, you know, little markets or convenience stores in the hood that are like giving away formula for free or having like, like <laughs> jacked up stuff to get moms to like formula feed over breastfeed. So there's a lot of discriminatory marketing practices that happen. Um, that's kind of, I think, when you think about the overarching theme of the, the perception of breastfeeding within the black community. And so even if you're a person of our generation who is thinking, you know, they want to try breastfeeding because you know of all the benefits, right? If you are uh, mildly woke, then you know that you should be eating more fiber, right? <laughs> For yourself. That also <laughs> means that you should know that breast is best and that breast milk is the optimal nutrition or the best thing you could possibly give to your baby. And so even if you're a person who wants to try that, right, you're going to think you're going to breastfeed your baby. Most of us don't have maternal support right in our family and black women when we have babies black moms when we have babies we look we call our grandma we call our auntie we call our whoever the these maternal influences if we have questions we need help that's what you go to your own family and if they didn't breastfeed then they don't have any information to give you so that's where my role comes in as a lactation consultant is that I can kind of help to bridge that gap so not only do I provide education to the family who's expecting um, but I can also help to educate grandmas and um, partners and the community, right? How can I can educate the church? How do you support breastfeeding mamas in church? That's important, right? That's the pillar of our community is the black church. You can't be kicking mamas out for breastfeeding in the church, right? And so all these different, that's my job is it's, it's more than just like hands-on helping you figure out how to do what's deemed natural in the wild, right? Like we talked about, because we are mammals, so it does seem as though it would be this easy thing to do. 
But that's like, that's like, if I could just do that, <laughs> make that connection, have to put that puzzle together. That's, that's easy. It's all these external influences that we as lactation consultants, I feel like that's my biggest battle. That's my biggest work is all these extrinsic factors that influence the family's decision to not only initiate breastfeeding, but those same influences are going to determine if she continues. Is she going to reach her breastfeeding goal? You know, we, we recommend nothing but breast milk for the first six months. And then continued breastfeeding with the incorporation of solid foods for at least a year, right? Two, two years of breastfeeding is optimal. That's, that's the gold standard. Okay. And so, you know, you think about same barriers to going to the doctor. We could apply those same barriers to, to breastfeeding, right? Um, mom's having to go back to work, not having support in the community. I mean, it's, it's, it's a whole big thing. And if they're mostly external factors, cause the mom can have her mindset, like I'm a breastfeed. But then but if, the community, the community would say, "No, don't breastfeed." Is that what you're saying? Sometimes they do. Employer won't provide um, yeah. a pump break for her to express milk so that her milk supply stays up, or her employer will say, "You need to pump on your lunch break, or you need to pump in the bathroom." Uh, no, no. Are there organizations that are fighting for this, the ability to pump at work, yeah, or does, sure. is that a union issue, or or is can it be, or should it be? It's not union. There's legislation around it, but you have to work for a provider or a provider, a company who honors that. And in places like Georgia, this is a right to work state. And so, yes, the law states that a lactating mother should be provided with this, this, this and that. But this is a right to work state. And so that employer may look at that and be like, mm, you breastfeed. And so we'll need you. We're going to find somebody else. And not only that, the mother, right, the breastfeeding mom, she has to know what her rights are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, I always say as a leader, whenever I am speaking or I'm teaching or I'm presenting information to somebody or even come up with, coming up with an idea, right, for, for something, some kind of implementation of a program, whatever, I have to always consider the least among us, right? The least educated person, the least um, you know, outspoken person, the, you know, I have to think about those people because it's going to be easy for me and Tasha to be like, I'm breastfeeding, right? But what about somebody who's really shy or, you know, maybe not insecure or, you know, are, are is that, is that, is she going to stand up and say, I need to breastfeed? I need to pump. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there may be legislation around it, but who goes to bat for those people who don't either know the legislation or are too afraid to speak up for themselves? It really is amazing to me that we that we having these discussions about something that that really should be natural and like walking. Right. This is this is something that we should be able to do and that we have to have, you know, people like you take these classes um, to to learn how to do this and to fight against the prejudice, to fight against the stigma Do hospitals. I know they gave it to me when, when my sons and my son and daughter, and they were born in the 90s, 96 and 98. Uh, um, do they still do the hospitals still giving out? different commercial milks, you know, to the mothers as they go home? Is that something that still happens? Yes. <laughs> That's the short answer. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's been more of a campaigning recently of what we call baby friendly hospitals. And I noticed earlier in my career, we would provide or I'm sorry, not we, Infamil um, or other um, formula companies will provide a gift bag 
And this gift bag would be like a baby bag that you could carry or whatever. And it would have their formula and all the coupons for their products and all mm -hmm. of that stuff in it. Um, and then we as a hospital moved to baby friendly, which mean that me meant that we did not take those anymore, those gifts for the families. Um, but what I noticed after I became a mom is that those things just came to my house. And so um, I think that after you set up a registry and all of this stuff, I got cans and cans and cans of formula. Mm -hmm. And I was a I am still a breastfeeding mother. And so I ended up donating that formula and whatever to like a mission or, you know, wherever some some oh, other yeah. family could use it. But I did not need it. But, you know, the propaganda, like Ryan said, is still there, even though it's out of the mm -hmm. hospital. It's still very present. And the hospital is still stopped with formula. You and the, yeah. the, the, the catch to the formula in the hospital is that when hospitals agree to give all these gift bags a formula, they have a contract with the formula company. So they don't pay for their formula. Mm -hmm. So any formula that the hospitals get from the formula company that they they when they roll your baby in and your baby's got this formula in the cart, <laughs> the hospital doesn't pay for that because that's their that's the formula company's way. They'll say, we'll eat this if we can give this baby formula for two days, but they're going to eat drink formula for 12 months. We don't already made our money back on whatever we gave you all for these two days. Right. And then some I, 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 formula I, I, companies are tricky. I absolutely agree. Well, it's, it's like, uh, you know, the crack salesman, right? I'll give you this, this free hit and then you'll mm -hmm. get, be on it for life. Uh, I absolutely, I absolutely agree. <laughs> it's absolutely. It's the same tactic, right? I mean, it's the same tactic. I mean, food crack. <laughs> food crack. I mean, it's, it's the same tactic. I mean, <laughs> the sales tactic is the same. The game is the same. The game is the same, right? It's, same game, you know, whether you're wearing a suit or you got a jumpsuit on, right? Suit and tie, jumpsuit on, it don't matter. It's the same game. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely, I hated the fact that my, that my ex didn't want to breastfeed, but I don't want to go into that. And I, I wanted her to breastfeed. I think, I think it's really important the bonding emotionally, all, all the different chemicals that are released in the mother and 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 the baby. And I, I just really think it's, it's. Maybe we'll do a separate show about that. I don't know the importance of that. I don't know. How bitter I am you about my. You did a show last week because it was Black Breast. <laughs> you, you did, yes, you did, yes, you did. And I listened. I, I did listen to it. I did listen. Did to you? It. So well, thank did, you for yeah. your support. Yeah. Listen, I'm, I'm not one that just wants people on my show. I actually listen to theirs. I think it's. I think it's really <laughs> important that we do that. Um, so I wanted to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about. Uh, well, first, Karen says Karen's a former uh, police uh, detective. She said I. She did not breastfeed. Uh, her sons, uh, but you can't ask them for breastfeeding breaks on patrol. I, I think that would have been a little difficult, Karen. I think that's <laughs> and and listen, I say that begrudgingly, you know, to to give you a a break or give patrol officers a break. Hey, listen, we got a a burglary in progress here, but no, listen, I gotta go. I gotta go pump my 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 breast. I, I mean, listen, I'm saying that that as as a manager, as a male manager, that you know, that is something we need to really look at. Um, even though I'm not a manager anymore, but that is something that they need to need to look at and say we need to make sure that we accommodate. All of our, our all of our ladies, right? We want females on the on, in law enforcement, so we need to make sure that we take care of them. Well, I, um, I think women car adapters they can pump in the car. Yeah. I have done that. So yeah. oh, okay. <laughs> and you have a cooler. If that's yes, what you need. It, it is possible. It I is think, possible. Um, all of this is just a product of the patriarchal, um, and what's the other word that I'm looking for? <laughs> 
patriarchal and capitalistic society. Um, and, and then you throw in racism on the back end of it. So as Ryan and I, in, in our careers, labor and delivery nurses, you know, nobody can time a baby coming, but I can count on my on my hand, I will run out of fingers of nurses who had babies of their own and came back to work and still was allowed, you know, and owed their pump breaks. Their their patient could have been pushing or whatever was happening. And um, I think it's up to your employer to be able to support you in that and and honor that you're putting your family first. Because really, what type of employee do you have if you don't have that much integrity? And I'm not judging anybody, but to say, you know, my baby needs to eat while I'm away, but I have to do this, this, and that. This is probably not a good fit for me employer-wise. Yeah. So let's talk about uh, you guys uh, dealing with COVID, essential employees, how you guys have been dealing with that, staying safe, not getting sneezed on and coughed on by, the, by, by people. Uh, <laughs> <Ryan>. <laughs> how, how are you guys uh, dealing with that? Go ahead, Nurse Ryan. Um, so, you know, for me, it's not even the people who were outwardly ill that are the cause of most concern for me. Um, it's, it's the people who come in. So when people come in to have their babies, everybody gets tested. They swab everybody for COVID. And so we have our positive patients on one side and we have our negative patients on the other side. But I have seen too many times throughout their two day stay, these negative patients fall ill while they're mm -hmm. there in the hospital. And so we have to then transfer them to the positive side. Right. And so how many Patients went in and out of the room. And of course, you know, we don appropriate gear, right? We don appropriate PPE or protective um, equipment for positive, COVID positive patients. And then for people who are not positive, they come on the floor, they're negative. We're just basically just wearing a mask. <laughs> so for me, um, it's those patients who are the biggest concern. If I know you're positive, right? I know exactly how to protect myself. I know exactly what I need to do to stay safe. Um, so for me, I have been trying to treat everybody kind of like they're positive. So like I'm wearing gloves with everybody because I've seen too many patients that come in negative and then in 24 hours they have a fever and they're coughing, they can't breathe. They're sick. They, we re-swab them and they, they have, they have COVID. Yeah. And so, um, and, and, you know, and that's just at work, right? <laughs> that's mm -hmm. not even this, that's not even like out in the world, like going to the grocery store where you really don't have any control over anything or, you know, and I, I've been trying to minimize everything that I do, but you got to go to the grocery store. Yeah. You're right. You got to go to the grocery store. Yes, you're absolutely right. Nurse mm -hmm. Tosh, how you been staying safe? Um, Thankfully, I am not working full time. <laughs> and so that's one way to minimize. That'll do it. Yeah. Minimize my contact, decrease my risk as much as I can. Um, I have taken care of COVID positive patients and that was tough. You know, aside from us being nurses and caregivers and handsy people, hands on, you know, we already have the barrier of the um, protective equipment. So your mask, your gloves, your face shield and a gown. And then it's just hard to, uh, for me, 
it's hard for me to comfort my patient. It's hard for me to comfort them, especially if they are alone, because some hospitals have restricted visitation yeah. because of COVID. It's just been really tough um, for me, like mentally, because I feel like I cannot practice to the capacity that I have in the past or um, up to the point where I really wanted to do this, to be a nurse. Um, so that's been tough for me. And then like Ryan said, I mean, moving around in the community, it changes your whole everything, your whole way of doing things. So when I come home from work, I strip in the garage, I throw my things in the wash, I shower in our guest bathroom, and then I go see my family. Um, so like I have that whole thing when I go out to the grocery store, I have Clorox wipes and the inside of my car is clean. The outside is dirty. And so before I get back in my car, I wipe everything down with, you know, disinfectant wipe. I wait for the kill time <laughs> and then I get in my car and go home. I wear a face shield. My honey thinks I'm crazy, but I'm like, Hey, I got this mask with a face shield for you whenever you're ready, <laughs> because there's so much that we don't know about this virus. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had a reality check where I felt like I had kind of been slacking off about my own protection and how I was moving about through the world. And then I was like, wait a minute now, it was way better <laughs> in the beginning. And you were doing much better about protecting yourself and, and, and being um, diligent about cleaning things. And now you just kind of lazy, but I guess six, seven months post COVID, you know, it just feels like uh, effort, but not really. <laughs> Do you think a lot of people are, are at the effort stage where you're just like, I mean, I mean, I'm not talking about, and I don't want to talk about them in a negative way, but these, the red state Trumpers who are standing next to each other at, at rallies and stuff. Do you think that the rest of the people who are saying, do you think the rest of the people understand that they should not be do, doing this or, or that they're at a place where they where they are saying F it and just kind of just going to the store and just ah whatever you know, people are getting sick and tired of being sick and tired and all that I think it's two different types of people who say F it I think those um who were storming capitals two weeks after a shutdown <laughs> I mean they did it, yeah, I mean, I think those type of people have a different mindset than the folks who have been really trying to protect themselves and others um, and just trying to get through life, this new way of life that we have. And as much as we think that we don't need people a lot of times, I think this time has taught us that we do. Mm -hmm. And social interaction and being able to do normal stuff. Right. Like I may not go out all the time, but I really would like to go down to a restaurant, sit and have a meal. You yeah. know what I'm saying? With people yeah. in my own family, not even a friend or somebody from out of town. Like my baby's birthday was this past weekend and my sister and niece had planned to fly here and they live in Kansas. And so I was like, I, I'm in Atlanta. The numbers are abysmal. Like I would feel terrible if they came here and got sick or if they came through, you know, Atlanta's one of the busiest airports in the nation and got us sick. Yeah. You know, so I just, I think that the people who are like, ugh, F it, are at the end of their rope kind of and feeling like, well, all these people got it. Inevitably, I'm gonna get it anyway. You know what I'm saying? They kind of, I, no, seriously, I've heard people say this. I think they just have um, a loss of hope 
about it, especially when you see other people who are just out here at the beach <laughs> and doing whatever without any regard for anyone else. You know, it just those two people are just completely different. Mm -hmm. Chris says Nozo Camille. Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm going to ask everyone not to use bigger words than the host <laughs> is able to understand. I have a very, I don't, uh, so uh, hospital acquired. So, nosocomial oh. infections are um, infections that you get after you've been admitted to the hospital. And while Chris is partly right, I think when that came up, Ryan was talking about how a patient had tested negative on admission and then tested positive. Um, the reality is you can test negative up until like 14 days post exposure. And that doesn't mean that you are not COVID positive. That means that the test, the sensitivity test has not gotten to a point where it can pick it up yet. And so that's not what she's talking about. Like that's not a nosocomial <laughs> infection. Yeah. You don't come to the hospital and get exposed to COVID and then you're positive the next day. It's unlikely that it happens. Like so the that. people who've come in more than likely have had it. They just, it just yes. didn't manifest yet. Uh, exactly. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. All right. See, I'm not that slow. Uh, let's see. Here. <laughs> see, so, <you're> not. <laughs> uh, Chris says uh, universal precautions are expanded. Um, yes. And that's what I so, meant by when I said, you know, every treat everybody like they're positive. Yeah. And that's essentially what universal precautions is, is that you protect yourself to, to make sure, you know, you treat everybody like they're positive. Yeah. Uh, so glad you retired. Chris, I did not know you retired. We got to have a conversation. Uh, I'm going to have you on the podcast, talk about your life and times and all that kind of stuff. Uh, Karen was talking about COVID fatigue. That's, I guess that's the terminology uh, that, mm -hmm. that we were talking about here. Where people are just, you know, tired and they want to break free and get haircuts mm -hmm. and, and sit at the beach or, or sit in a restaurant and sneeze on people and stuff. Uh, Chris <laughs> says, I was, <laughs> I was doing sneezing. <laughs> Sneezing, coughing, <laughs> droplets, whatever, <laughs> whatever, whatever, you know, ex expulsion is going on. You know, uh, <clears throat> I was in EMS for the 80s and it took some people years to adhere to blood and body fluid precautions when HIV was discovered. So let's talk mm -hmm. about that for a little bit. How long are we going to be wearing these masks? Do you have any idea? And anyone ever talking about that? How long are we going to be wearing these masks? I've heard a year, a year from now, we'll still be wearing them. What's up? What's the latest? Anybody know? You know, I heard someone say that we need to go ahead and be honest that we won't be back to normal until 2022. And I almost fainted. I was just like, <laughs> yeah, because in my mind, like this was months ago, though, in my mind, I was like, you know, 2020 is a wash. It's done. Maybe 2021. Yeah. You know, I, w I was perfectly ready to just hang everything up and 2021 about to be lit. And then I, I mean, you just keep seeing these numbers and yeah. yeah, I think it, I think so. I think that we have some, I think that what you said, Tasha is right. That we have the COVID fatigue. Then we have the people who are just, you know, wanting to not wear a mask because they don't want to wear a mask. But I think that people are also like almost becoming numb mm -hmm. to what's going on. And maybe they're becoming numb because they, don't they have not personally experienced COVID or they have not personally seen that like it be real, right? And so then there's like this numbness. And I think that's why people can go to the beach and like hang out and live recklessly because they're detached from it almost, right? Like they're just numb. Like they they can't buy into it, I think. Or maybe they did and now they just are like, whatever. So if you don't live in a place 
where COVID is still like, I mean, here in Indiana, like we still have some zip codes that the numbers have never gone down. Like they are continuing to climb. Um, I think just yesterday or day before yesterday, we had an all time high number, record number of positives. And so I think if you don't live in a place where you are seeing it, because I could even say me, you know, I can be a bit of a conspiracy theorist sometimes. And so if I wasn't a nurse, I might be like, mm. <laughs> if I didn't see patients come in negative and then be positive and see how they can be so sick. And if I didn't have firsthand experience of, of it, I could maybe see myself being like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> they might just not want us to leave the house. You know? I, you know, I I can actually I can actually get behind that a little bit. I I had two, and what what's really kind of shocking to me, or at least kind of woke me up to this, because I was kind of the same thing, thinking, okay, this is just really a really bad flu, you know. Um, but then I had two people that I knew died, and one was a few few weeks older than I. I mean, not a few weeks, few few years older than I, and so to to, to see him die was like. Man, this is really what what is going on here? So it really kind of shook me and said, you know, this is maybe a little bit worse than we than we thought. Um, so uh, Karen is asking, what do you guys think about uh, COVID vaccine? What is, what is about that, or should we be injecting ourselves with bleach, or what? What? <laughs> Good, <laughs> Good master. I thought you said you didn't have the humor of. <laughs> right. Should we be injecting ourselves with bleach? Sure. <laughs> Natural selection. <laughs> Whoever would like. Right. <laughs> right after we wash and bleach, okay? <laughs> What's your guys' um, thoughts on a COVID vaccine? A COVID vaccine is a no for me, dog. I was going to say the same <laughs> exact thing. Literally, it's a no for me. Yeah. I don't want me. any parts of it. Yeah. Do you, no. uh, so speaking of conspiracy theories, you think that people have been speculating that the government is going to make us get these vac vaccines. What is your thoughts about that? Well, they're going to start with health care providers. <laughs> and black people, <laughs> because they care so much about black people. Yeah, yeah that's really, really Yeah, good. I mean, I don't, I can foresee, you know, it's a slippery slope, right? Because even I was getting ready to say, like, you know, there are certain vaccines that we have to have to move about in the world, right? Like, you have to have certain vaccines to go to school. Um, you have to have certain vaccines to work in certain facilities, like at the, you know, healthcare workers is like one of the places I'm thinking in particular, like at the hospital, you have to have certain vaccines. Even if you're not like providing care, you have to have certain vaccines. And so I could see them mandating it. But then I could also kind of see them doing it like they do the flu, right? Like for healthcare workers in most places, the flu vaccine is mandatory, like just influenza, right? But then for schools or for school-age children, it's kind of like, eh, if you want to get it, they kind of push it on you, but you don't really have to get it. You know, they can go to school without it. But the flu has not been a pandemic since, you know, 1920. <laughs> yeah, the I mean, flu vaccine hasn't helped any numbers since ever okay yeah the flu right. vaccine has not helped any numbers is that what you said no it doesn't really yeah. do much yeah no. i don't get it i don't get it and i would not i this is me talking i'm not a nurse i have not i've not been in med school and i did Disclaimer. stay at the holiday and i did stay at the holiday in last night but <laughs> i <laughs> i i probably would not get it i, I probably would not get it but i don't you know i don't know i mean I, I don't know i have to listen maybe i'll i'll have you guys out and we'll talk about it See how everything's working out. 
So no. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist either. I don't want to tell people wrong or bad information, but I'm just really kind of skeptical about this whole whole thing. Knowing what I know about the vaccine industry and the capitalist society that we live in and how the vaccine industry is one of the most under-regulated um, industries, and you can put them right up next to Big Pharma. As far they as are. I, <laughs> they are. I, I can't, I cannot see myself lining up for something like that, knowing that it's not regulated. They don't have the FDA. Um, restrictions and testing and rigorous whatever that even a drug would go through and you want to put something in my body and then you're going to develop a vaccine in under 12 months is a no for me dog and i see it going that way too like healthcare workers being required just like we're required to get the flu vaccine which i hate i hate feeling like that i feel disenfranchised i feel forced and that's a big part of my motivation for wanting to move away from the hospital because I can already see this coming. And I've told school age parents or parents who have school age children, I'm like, be careful. Be careful because I can see this coming too. like you can't come to school unless you have this mm -hmm. COVID vaccine. And so you're about to guinea pig healthcare workers, children and black people <laughs> because Especially you care about us so much. Yeah, no. especially as it's so it's, it's as it is so new, right? I mean, we're not talking about ten years of, of trials and all this. This no. is, and everybody's on a rush. I know Russia had some kind of vaccine, and Yale's got something going on now. First, they said, you know, it's going to be a year. It's going to be eighteen months before we have any kind of semblance of a vaccine. Four months later, everybody's claiming that. We got have it. Something. Yeah, it's a race to the finish line. Eighteen months. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I. I'm definitely skeptical about all that. There's no way I would give it to myself or to anyone else uh, for for years. Um, um, so if ever, if ever, if, if ever, right? I don't take the <laughs> flu vaccine. I don't take the flu vaccine. Yeah, I, I don't take the flu vaccine. So why would I? You know, I don't. Know. But uh, so what's what's next for your guys' podcast? What's what's the latest and greatest? Who you guys got any great episodes you can tell us about, or what's coming up, or? Well, we've been flying by the seat of our pants, Captain Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> we used to be really great strategists and planners, but you know, life is just really bizarre these days. And so next week, well, not next week, because we're we record tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow, um, we'll be talking about mental health. And I felt like this was something important to speak about. I told Ryan that another podcaster that I listened to really opened up about how he had been feeling since the start of the pandemic and just previously in his life had been having trouble with um, suicide ideation. And he opened up, like I said, and was super vulnerable and talked about how, you know, he was struggling with this again. And I was just like, you know what, we need, we've talked about COVID and being pregnant during COVID and all of these different aspects, but we haven't talked about the mental health aspect of that. Um, and you add in racial tension, um, civil unrest, and just all of these things. And really, I thought about specifically Black men and their mental health and what that looks like. And, you know, y'all okay <laughs> kind of um, thing. I've done a couple yeah. of shows about that, about the Black men's mental health is after watching incidents like the George Floyd and, jo and, and yeah. um, Matt Arbery cases and everything like that. Um, yeah. And also another one of my um, most popular Facebook lives, 
most popular one that people watched anyway was was when I did mental health. So that tells me that people are really struggling with mental health. I know people, you know, um, have a taboo about talking about it. They don't want to bring up their aunts and uncles and cousins or family history or what they're dealing with internally. But when people are watching it and people like you like yourselves are, are talking about it and people are looking at it, reaching out, um, there really is something going on. And one of the biggest things, I was a member of our crisis intervention team. And so we were, um, uh, a crisis intervention team were, were those officers that would be dispatched to deal with people uh, who were going through some type of mental health crisis at the time. And so one of the things that uh, that, that we really harped on was, was that um, we, you wouldn't make fun of people who were dealing with as we mentioned, um, uh, colon cancer or, right. or or any other type of problems with their liver, their their lungs, their their foot. Uh, you, you know, we make fun of people. And so when people are dealing with mental illness, they're having some type of problem with their brain, right? The physical organ of the brain. It's not yes. functioning right. There, there's not enough melatonin, serotonin, whatever mm -hmm. whatever chemicals are supposed to be regulating and circulating and doing everything they're doing. It's not it's not working for whatever reason. And so we won't make fun of all these other people. So don't make fun of people who are dealing with some type of mental mental illness. And so we got to take we got to take you know the stigma away so people do get the help they need. Absolutely, for sure. I did think about you. I was wondering, like, how are you dealing? I know you're no longer um, in, in the field, but you know it has to be an interesting feeling for you as a black man, kind of witnessing all of these police shootings and yeah so i um i can talk about it now because i actually just finished a book it's in a it's in the editors right now so you guys would have it up in a couple wow of weeks. that's awesome yeah. That's yeah 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 so i i was telling nurse tash before that i'm I got too many things going on. So I just finished that, but my editor is ripping it apart. So anyway, uh, <laughs> that's that job. editors do. <laughs> oh man, I'm like, man, I just, I, I, I'm glad I hired her, but then I'm not. I'm like, man, okay, relax. I thought I could write. I thought I could write a little bit, but you were killing it. Um, so <laughs> I got off topic here. What was I talking? About? Oh yeah, how do I feel? So so I, I talked about this in in um, I, I dealt with this topic a lot on my show, and you know, being black and being blue as we would call it being a police officer and so it's really is difficult um to see this because you know i myself obviously am black my kids are black and i want them to grow up and be safe and have positive interactions with the police but on the other but on the other hand you know we're seeing something that that seems to be relentless right it doesn't seem to be giving up um and so now there's there's these racial or not even racial but these riots in the streets and 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 and, and what i am glad to see is that a lot of white people are 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 chiming in that's nonsense, you know, and and whether they're marching or protesting or writing or whatever they're saying, um, I, I appreciate that because it's it shows that it's not just us in our imagination, <laughs> right? But there's there seems to be other people who are who are chiming in. Even they could do more. Everyone could do more. But so how do I feel? I mean, I feel frustrated. I feel angry. I feel annoyed. I'm sad that we're going through this. I know that the police could be so much more, that we should be so much more. Um, how we got to this place and to this point in our society, um, it, it, you know, it's difficult to to work out, but we're here and we have to deal with it. We have to kind of go forward. Um, so, and I did want to ask you two about how you feel about what's going on. I don't know what's going on in Indiana. I know that Atlanta has some issues, especially with, uh, uh, I, forget, I forget his name. He was shot down in the, the Wendy's down there. Um, Rayshawn Brooks, Rayshawn Brooks, Rayshawn Brooks, Rayshawn Brooks. Yes. So, so how do you all, how are you all feeling about 
about this as well. You guys got kids and you're watching, growing up in this world and all that. Right. Start with you, Nurse Ryan. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel so many different ways. I feel that, you know, the the premise of all of the work that I do is it's all rooted in right racial equity. Like that's that's what I do. And so it's really hard that when things in, in society are going well, like because obviously things are not going well, that's why I'm doing the work. But I can be like laser focused with like maternal child health. I can just be really focused on that and talking about the racial equity there. So then when you pull in these pieces, right? And I, I work with moms and babies. I work with mamas and babies. And so there's so much fear. Like it's very rare that black mamas are celebrated when we bring life into the world. I know so many mamas who have never been even told congratulations that they were pregnant, okay? And because it's it's not always a good thing to have a black baby, right? It is a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing, but we know what it is to to birth a child into this world. We know what they have waiting for them when they get here, right? It's not a beautiful place. It's not a place that's accepting of them. It's not a place that's going to make an easy path for them. Um, that's going to be warm and fuzzy. Like, that's not a thing. You might get that at home, but you're not getting that out of these streets. And so to, to know, like, to work with expecting families during this time that and i used to think i was safe because i have daughters i used to think it wasn't a, a thing i had to be super concerned about and that's just not even true anymore either right and so to, to, to be working with a family that is maybe expecting a son and then seeing all this in the media it's like it, it brings about a different challenge in the work that I do um, because there's lots of new conversations that have to be had. There's lots of um, different trauma to work through and, and and tease back to when you're when you're educating a family or when you're supporting a family in this very delicate space that they're in when you're bringing forth new life. And so. So I don't even really get a chance to eat and absorb and digest the actual situations that happen, like the actual killings of our unarmed black men. I don't even get a chance to truly, I try my best to limit even how much of it I take in because I'm so full already with where I am over here and the work that I do here and how it bleeds over that I can't even sometimes embed myself in the fullness of, 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 of the actual events that are happening. I have to like kind of protect my own, <laughs> protect my own self and my own mental health and my own spirit because I'm, I'm already so full with the work that I'm doing and how it just naturally bleeds over. I understand mm -hmm. that. Nurse Tosh? Um, everything Ryan just said. And I was really tearful last week. I am just terrified. I'm angry. I'm sad. Every time you think like there can't be a one up aspect to these things, like there is. And so for me, I'm like, you know, this man 
was shot seven times, <laughs> seven in his back in front of his children, you know, and, and that is bad enough in itself, you know, and I think about the therapy and I really hope those kids and their families and their circle are forward thinking in that, that those babies need therapy. Um, and that this man's life is like forever changed and for the rest of it. And then you add that he is cuffed to a bed and he is paralyzed. And then you add that there's a 17 year old kid who his mom drove him across state lines to protect property, quote unquote. And he, you know, took two other lives and wounded a third. And so just all of these things are going on for me. And I'm just like, how dare, <laughs> you know, um, white society at large call black parenting into question because it's always called into question. And here we have this white mother who has driven her minor son across state lines with a rifle that he doesn't have legally under a curfew to protect property. And then you see the headlines that come out about him. You know, aspiring cop kills two people. <laughs> like, I just, I have so much bubbling up in me with every story that comes out. It, like you said, it seems and it feels unrelenting. It's like I'm living a nightmare over and mm -hmm. over again. Um, I can remember telling my honey, Back when maybe not Rashard Brooks, the shooting before that, um, I remember telling him, I don't want to have a son. You know, and then I was like instantly mad at myself in that moment for allowing um, that to be stolen from me. Mm -hmm. like, I don't have the right to want that because there's so much trauma and fear wrapped up in what that means mm -hmm. to bring a black boy into this world. So, yeah, it's been heavy <laughs> for me around here. And I have been working really, really hard at finding joy. I see it as an act of resistance um, in every way that I can. I'm resisting and just trying to be happy. Mm, yeah well i appreciate that and i i appreciate that certainly did not want to bring the mood down here but it's it okay. is it is what so many people feel and i think that yeah. uh, that ryan is right that you know, sometimes it's avoidance i've talked to a lot of other people who just said listen i can't watch any more of these videos i can't you know so processing mm -hmm. them is really difficult and i you know because of what I do, I try to force myself to watch it, but it's difficult for me. Mm -hmm. It's difficult. I, you know, it's it's difficult. It's difficult. Um, We've been talking about that though on one of our shows with a therapist or a licensed counselor. How like just watching it, the trauma of that, and you know, even if you're in the field and those sorts of things, like exposing yourself to to that is is damaging mm -hmm. to you on some level. You know? Yeah, the, the, the vicarious trauma and all that can be. Yeah, right. Yeah, I definitely believe in that. It's true, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Ladies, I really, really appreciate you guys coming on the show. I really had a great time talking to you. Um, 
really, really um, hope that you guys, our podcast is successful, that you guys continue to fulfill out your dreams and desires. And I, I really would like to have you guys back on one day when we can have some more laughs. And uh, <laughs> maybe, maybe we can see if uh, we'll, we, if Ryan will change that little wheezy. Um, <laughs> I would like, like, say, Weezy like, stay. Put some underwear down. I, Captain Hunter, why would you do this to me? I know what that picture means to Ryan. <laughs> right. like, like you said, we'll never be able to unsee it now, right? You'll never, it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. Listen, thank Thanks you guys so much for tuning in. Everyone who's tuned in next week, I have some ladies on. Uh, if you guys remember Pastor Stacy Jones, we had um, his wife has started a, a homeschooling group uh, where a bunch of ladies from their church are, are homeschooling their kids. So I'm looking forward to talking to them, especially as we talk about just COVID stuff and all this crazy stuff that's going on. Um, so I am looking forward to conversating with them and seeing what they did, how they got everything set up. So maybe other people can do that as well. So we don't have to go sticking, uh, hopefully dead, toxic materials into our bodies so we can walk through the streets and go to school and all kind of crazy stuff like that. So, right. yeah. Thank you so much yeah. for having us. Uh, really thank you. <laughs> I, I did too, guys. Great, great, great. So when, where can we catch your episodes at and tell us you know, where your podcast is at? It's just on Facebook. It's not just on Facebook, right? It's, it's on Tell us where it is. <laughs> we can be found on Facebook at Conscious Sedation Podcast. If you just search us, we'll come up. On Instagram and Twitter, we can be found at Conscious underscore Sedation. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, we can be reached via email at GetSedated705 at gmail.com. Get sedated, y'all. Get sedated. Get <laughs> sedated. Stay woke. Wake up. Now. Stay woke. Yeah, but wake up. Wake up. <laughs> all right ladies thank you so much i'll talk to you again take care thank you thank you